What do we make of a regime that has thought crime on the statute books? Well, what do we think of God the Father? Because on Mount Sinai, he gives us 10 words to summarize the good life. And here is his last word on the matter. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covet is actually a rare word in the Bible, I guess because it's a rare word in English. The underlying Hebrew word is most often translated as desire or delight. It's a heart thing. It's about where we set our affections. And here it is, inscribed on stone by the very finger of God, given to the people. The concluding commandment of the ten is about my heart's desire. What kind of law is this? How do you legislate desires? How do you enforce delight? Actually, we're meant to feel the oddity of this. The law has been pointing to this issue all along. The first and last words are bookends to show us the nature of God's good life and our inability to fulfill it. Commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before God's presence. Commandment number ten, thou shalt not covet. Basically, it's saying, be content, be satisfied with God's presence, His face, His image, His Son, and then don't derive your ultimate meaning and satisfaction and joy and purpose from anything else. This is God's good life. And really, it's asking the question, where will you seek your life? Where will you look for for life and joy and satisfaction? Will you look to Christ, the presence of the Lord, or will you look to the things of this world, your neighbor's house or spouse or car or possessions or holiday destination or lifestyle or donkey? You know, however grand we think our aspirations are, basically it boils down to this. I'd quite like to have my neighbor's donkey, you know. It's pathetic, really, when Christ is offered to us for our eternal satisfaction. Martin Luther, in his large catechism, gives us a brilliant exposition of the law's expectation for our hearts. He's commenting on the first commandment here, and he says this, What does it mean to have a God, or what is God? Answer, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe him from the whole heart. That now, I say, upon which you set your heart and put your trust, that is properly your God. Therefore, it is the intent of this commandment to require true faith and trust of the heart, which settles upon the only true God and clings to him alone. That is as much as to say... God says to you, see to it that you let me alone be your God and never seek for another. That is, whatever you lack of good things, expect it of me, says God. Look to me for it. And whenever you suffer misfortune or distress, creep and cling to me, says God. I, yes, I will give you enough and help you out of every need. Only let not your heart cleave to or rest in any other. This is our great problem. We don't cleave to, we don't cling to the living God, and so our hearts go off to all sorts of other things. And every time we break any other commandment, it's because we've first broken the first commandment. The commandments are about these attitudes of the heart. And even when you get to things like do not murder or do not kill, well, Matthew chapter 5 tells us, Jesus tells us, that is more deeply about the anger and the lust of the heart. The law is about the heart. The trouble is the law cannot change my heart. In fact, when the law comes into my heart, it doesn't just highlight my sinful desires, it provokes them. 
The Apostle Paul, when he considered our verse for today, says in Romans chapter 7, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But then sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. You see, the law doesn't so much prohibit my coveting, it provokes it. It's the old truism. Nothing makes me want to walk on the grass more than the sign that says, do not walk on the grass. You know, if I'm told not to want all the bright, shiny things, suddenly the bright, shiny things seem very appealing. What's the answer? Not the law. The law can only diagnose my problem. The law is like a, a spotlight, a bright, shining revelation of God's goodness. It shows up my badness, but it is not the answer. A spotlight never rescued anyone. A spotlight only reveals the need for rescue. The gospel is the rescue rope. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ coming down from heaven. He is the very embodiment of the good life. He is the true man after God's own heart. He is utterly devoted to the Father, filled with the zealous, jealous love of the Spirit. Nothing distracts him from glorifying his Father. And so he sets his face resolutely for Jerusalem. On the cross, he takes hold of us, us covetous idolaters, and he takes hold of the God of glory on the other hand, and he says, I will be so zealous, so faithful, I will commit to you both through hell or high water. Jesus dies to bring us together with God. And, and when I look to him, then my heart is moved. The law, the law is powerless to move my heart. The law is powerless to make me love God. But when I see this God, this devoted, zealous, single-hearted God, the God who dies for loveless, listless, covetous fools like me, when I look to Jesus, then my desires, they start to shift. And maybe, just maybe, my neighbor's donkey starts to lose his appeal. Mm -hmm.